listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little bloodsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers like gay. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Okay, so, well, yesterday I had the good fortune of speaking with none other than Syl McClausland. Now, Syl came over um, and we got right into it. Syl is a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, she's a mum. She's a loving partner of Tony Ray. She's a writer. She's a modern-day philosopher. Um, and she definitely lives and thinks outside the status quo. Um, we've had a few great chats over the years. And I said to her quite a while ago, you should come and have a chat to me on the horse's mouth. You know, like we always have good good banter and, and I really like the way Sill's mind operates. And especially on a creative level also. Um, <clears throat> sorry about that still getting over that like you know i think everyone's sick at the moment but anyway back to still um i'm not sick i'm just still something's lingering you know um sorry you had to endure that um and so she came over we had a great chat um and, and i just think conversations and, and the way that Syl's thinking and like I can think like that for a little while and then I sort of have to pull back a little bit because it makes me like I feel hopeless. I don't know where to go. And I mean in like, you know, if you really pull back from your life and have a think about the way we're, we're trajectorying and I speak about it within the context of David Attenborough and his life and his latest documentary and you look at where we're going, I, it's hard to not think that we're heading into some sort of Orwellian future. Now, Syl is very aware of this and she um, is doing her darndest to, you know, uh, live a different way and I suppose is very concerned uh, on on that as a future. And if we don't do something, you know, that will be... If we don't do something as a people, I feel like that's just what's going to come down the pipeline. And we have an opportunity to say no, but... You've got to be aware and you've got to, it's hard for people to be aware in the modern society because we're so goddamn fucking busy all the time. There's a lot to think about, you know, whether it's your mortgage, whether it's your family, whether it's looking at weather maps and waves and chasing, we're always chasing, whatever it is. And then we're but like, do we pull back and go, you know, right now it's really good. We can do these things. But in the, in the future, like if you've got kids, is that what it's going like? It, it, it's speeding up. Anyway, so I think it's an important conversation to have. Um, so I was really grateful that that Syl came around and, and we got to flesh it out and have a chat and, and, and you know, and Syl can share some of her thoughts and I can share some of my thoughts. And, you know, I, I, I share the same concern. I really do. I just don't know what the answers are. Um, you know, people tell you what the answers are all the time, but then to implement them into your life in a busy, you know, modern world, it's, it's, it takes a brave person. And I think Syl and Tony are doing it. But, um, yeah, so anyway, look, I won't crap on anymore. I hope you enjoy my chat with Syl. Um, I'm going to do a little shout-out right now to Ray Liotta. Um, just what a, an, an incredible, incredible human being um, and just brought so much joy through his storytelling to so many people. Like, I'm just a huge Ray fan. So I just he's just another one gone you know and i'm going to just tack on a couple of little little moments now from, from some from ray uh i hope you enjoy those little these little bits that i'm going to throw in and um 
Yeah. I'll see you on the other side. I was going to be busy all day. I had to drop off some guns at Jimmy's to match some silencers he had gotten. I had to pick up my brother at the hospital and drive him back to the house for dinner that night. And then I had to pick up some new Pittsburgh stuff for Lois to fly down to some customers I had near Atlanta. See, I was cooking dinner that night. I had to start braising the beef, pork butt, and veal shanks for the tomato sauce. I'm going to make them all. I'm going to make all this meat. It was Michael's favorite. I was making ziti with the meat gravy, and I'm planning to roast some peppers over the flames, and I was going to put on some string beans with some olive oil and garlic, and I had some beautiful cutlets that were cut just right that I was going to fry up before dinner just as an appetizer. So I was home for about an hour. Now, my plan was to start the dinner early so Karen and I could unload the guns that Jimmy didn't want and then get the package for Lois to take to Atlanta for her trip later that night. No, I kept looking out the window and I saw that the helicopter was gone. So I asked my brother Michael to watch the saucer. I have to fight you, Ray. I'm going to take Lulu. We're going to waltz right out of here and there's not a damn thing you can do. <laughs> Charlie, you are something. You are something. <laughs> yeah, right. You we missed. A complete and total farfarama. This is everybody. Pretty things have gone to hell. Yeah. But do you think? Sorry, I, I'm gonna. Do you think that living here exacerbates that feeling, or do you think you'd find that feeling living anywhere in the current climate of what's going on? You nailed it. It's the current climate, you know. I think once you know, there's this fantastic, he's an entrepreneur and he was a, um, a tech-savvy guy that's had, he started off in real estate. His name's, he's a Canadian. His name is Jeff Booth. And he says, once you know, you can never, or once you see, you can never unsee. And he's written a book called um, The Price of Tomorrow. And it's about deflation and all the things that you and I have talked about a couple of days ago where finance is at the heart of everything that's happening right now and your home has this fantastic old school vibe to it right and it's that 70s where everything was solid even though we were falling apart at the knees because what the fuck happened in 1971 is actually a thing we went off the gold standard family values were crumbling there was like massive um, protests in the street the Vietnam War were coming out of all of these social um, really crazy times and it was creating psychological and social breakdowns within society and that's where I feel like we're at now and because I'm old enough to know I remember in 1973 there was this massive inflation hike and we were going through what everyone was saying was a crazy recession one that we hadn't had since World War Two, and I remember being with my father and going, why are we carrying petrol containers to the petrol station, you know, and it was already there, society was breaking down, and since then, every government that's come in has kicked the can down the road, and although this is the greatest place in the world to live, you're right, anywhere you are right now in the world, I think you would be struggling to comprehend what is ahead how do you how do you navigate this complete collapse of whatever it is that's happening COVID exposed it is this what we're seeing in Sri Lanka yes there's a shortage of food and fuel and fuel so when you just keep printing money 
the way everyone has in the last two years to kind of compensate for the fact that they shut down the whole world. You're seeing now lack of commodities and an increase of money paper in the system exacerbates inflation. The supply chains have been completely shut down and ruined. You can't shut a world down for two years and expect there to not be a huge consequence on society. And those third world countries feel it first. And so when you've got all these virtue signalers and there are many that live in leafy suburbs and they're the loudest, but they don't realize that what they're actually protesting for is going to impact like shutdowns and lockdowns and things like that. It's okay for someone that can sit in their house and work off their computer and still earn a wage. But think about how that hobbled every single third world person that needed the stand, needed tourism. And COVID was definitely a massive pandemic, but they didn't do the cost evaluation of what long-term effects this was going to have. And sometimes I think perhaps it was they wanted this. When I say they, the World Economic Forum. Now, before we go too far down this road, mm. can I draw it back to, you said something to me the other day and just been passing, which really perked my interest, that your mm. parents came to Australia. Yeah. From where? From the former Yugoslavia, so Croatia. Croatia. And this is really interesting because... I just if, want to go back and be yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. I'm glad we're doing yeah. this because it so ties in perfectly to where we're sitting at now um, on the global scale because isms all have a reason to exist in society. Feminism, um, elitism, sexism, globalism, globalism ageism. Isms are here, professionalism. It's all here for a reason because mainstream media narrates and contrives a lot of stuff so that we then get it in our head. But when you've got parents that escaped from communism in the 50s, so my father was 15 and he just left. He just went to work one day, never told his mother and father that he wasn't coming back, and he ran over the border in the middle of the night, ended up in Italy, 15 years old, stayed there till he was 17, and then came back to Australia not came back to Australia, came to Australia on a boat on his own. That would have been a long voyage. It was a long voyage. And imagine you don't know the language, you have no friends. He gets to Port Melbourne. He's got a suitcase with two pairs of socks and a pair of jocks in it. And he was like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? So he ditched the suitcase in the off the pier and heard some people speaking in his language which was Croatian, and they said, if you want some work, there's some work in Geelong. And like this was, what, 70 years ago, whatever it was. So he ended up there, and he worked in the sugarcane farms, and, and then he became a really quite a high-end painter, and he used to, like, climb up. You know those towers in Fitzroy or Footscray? On the old Geelong Road, the towers that lead on the back roads through to the refineries into Melbourne. Yeah, the storage containers, those big silos. Yeah, well, he yeah. used to paint those. No harnesses or anything. You just got up on a ladder. Yeah. So old school shit. And then he started his own. He worked for an Australian guy called Stuart Perry and he loved him. And he took him under his wing. And my father was just one of these guys that can do. He never believed that there was anything in this world that he couldn't do. And so he was taken under his wing, mentored by him and bought a comp like bought the company from him in 75. So this is a self-made man, a Euro wog 
for want of a better word, which is what they all were back then. But they didn't care. That was just like water off a duck's back. He was like, I don't give a shit what you call me. I just know what my self-worth is. doesn't matter what you think of me. It's what I think of me. And so he was the type of guy that could just do things, get things done. Unfortunately, he died at 69. But imagine having everything you ever wanted in your life happen. And one of those things was to free Croatia. So I'm going... I'm going back to go forwards. Can I ask a question? Did he ever see his parents again? Once. Wow. For five weeks. He was a political... He he would have gone to jail if he went back to yeah, Croatia yeah. because yeah. he escaped the army. So we were in Germany. It was 1977 and my mother and father took three kids under the age of nine to Germany first. He met his mum and dad and then dad was kind of a little bit... He was a classic, I suppose, adventurer and he was like, well, we're not going to come all the way here and not see Europe. So they took us on the Ural Pass for three months, three small kids and I don't know how many countries we did, I think about seven or eight and it was the hippie revolution. So everyone was in caftans and guitars and for my folks, they were kind of quite what's the word traditional in essence but still the spirit was their through line like they know what it's like to be outsiders and just try and fit in so we were just hanging with gypsies and stuff and I don't know it was really amazing and then he just came back to Australia after meeting his parents and it kind of gave him even more of a sense of urgency to continue to look after them because they were living in communism. So they managed to get over to Germany, met for five weeks. It was the last time he saw them. So he left at 15, saw them again when he was 45 and never saw them again until, well, he died. Never saw them again. It's so sad. It's sad. But do you know one thing that I loved about him? He never, ever took it upon himself to feel like a victim. Mm. He never felt like the world owed him anything. He used to say, he called me Silver. He'd say things like, Silver, no one owes you a thing. If you want something, you go out and get it. And if you don't get it, you mustn't want it as much as you think you do. So we grew up like that. But the communism theme was really something. Really nice ethos. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. You've got to thrive in your life. If you start identifying as a victim, that's when survival just becomes what you're searching for. And, like, I never want to feel like that. I never want to live a life where if surviving is what it's about, then it's not worth the journey, you know what I mean? And so many people live like that. And I think we've been indoctrinated to believe that we're victims. I really do. But so, but just trying to get a grasp of what you're saying is like in the moment, I'd say we have an opportunity to thrive. But if we were thrown into an economic economic turmoil, where you say you're going to the service station to get fuel, mm. and like Sri Lanka at the moment, there's no fuel. There's no fuel, and and so that's a difficult environment too. I think the times too have changed, like. One thing in the like the fifties, the late fifties, early sixties, seventies, we weren't regulated within an inch of our lives for everything, yeah, yeah. and so it was possibly easier. And third world countries have always had the shit end of the stick, right? There's no doubt about that. Like Sri Lanka should be 
I mean, they should have enough rice to feed. I'm going to go on to a subject that might create some controversy because it is ESG, which is Environmental Social Governance, which is all these environmental regulations that have been thrown upon or thrust upon these nations in order for them to keep on receiving their government handouts from the International Monetary Fund. They have to be beholden to green, whatever the word green means, um, types of farming, energy usage, et cetera, et cetera. So third world countries. Third world countries. So Sri Lanka, what? yeah. Yeah, Sri Lanka should be should have enough rice to feed their whole nation. But because they actually had to adhere to these well, they're effectively carbon credit scores so that they can continue to get the handouts that they need from the International Monetary Fund. And it all comes down to the money. So this is what I'm saying. Over the last 50 years, there has been so much corruption within IMF, central banks, the Fed, and it's all connected back to all of us. We're lucky in Australia. We're still a first world country, but we're in so much debt. And we're beholden to the Fed and to the International Monetary Fund as well because the reserve banks and these are unelected people that are in charge of our destiny. They create the rules and the regulations that we have to live under. And no one knows this unless you really dig deep and start looking at the financial structure of the world. Oh, no, no. I've been, so just to clarify a little bit, I've been down this rabbit hole a few times and I still never can get make tales. But I know that something happened around the time when the gold standard was shifted into petroleum-based economy. Petrodollar. Petrodollar. And... Uh, and that meant that you know money in the bank didn't have to equate to what was in the bank gold. of gold. Yeah. You could start to manipulate the numbers more. And uh, and so the people at the... So you've got the... Let's just say pick America. They're easy to pick on. You've got America. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. They're and, actually... They're, they're the reserve currency, so they're a good target. You yeah. know what I mean? They so hold well, let's, the... Yeah. Let's go with that. So I'm just going to go into layman's terms. So yeah. you, and you can tell me where I'm wrong. And no, no, right. no. You're right so far. And... Um, so then within the American government, you have another thing, which is the American dollar. Yeah. And the government doesn't actually own the dollar. The International the, Monetary Fund, well, the Fed. Okay, so the Federal Reserve. Yeah. And they're the people that print the money. Yeah. Um, and do we, who are those people and how do they not... Good question. If the government is the government... But they are beholden to, to the Federal Fed. Reserve. Who the fuck are the Federal Reserve? And how do the Federal Reserve not really be known to be running the country if money runs things? The Federal Reserve runs the world. Okay. Yeah. There's been... The World Economic Forum, which is another... World Economic Forum. What is that? Just a, where a group of people come together and talk yeah. money? Yeah. So have you heard of Davos? Davos is actually in Switzerland and it's a week-long kind of build back better you would have heard this term it's such a communistic slash socialistic sort of propagandist way of describing where people want us to actually how how they see global society going because they don't think we're smart enough to actually look after ourselves hence you're watching what's happening in Sri Lanka now that's a direct result of globalism which is controlled by the World Economic Forum which is the puppet to the International Monetary Fund okay just to say one thing outside so um, do you think Brexit 
was something that they didn't perceive to happen. It went against the narrative. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. was okay, that cool. was something that they weren't expecting. Yeah. Right. But this is what happens when you have so even Donald Trump being elected into America was a direct antagonistic slap into traditional political kind of the way that governments run the show it was like hang on a minute all you politicians really are just beholden to a power that's higher than us you should be we're your like the people are the boss of the government not the other way around but we've just got to a point now where government is so massive big government equates to control and who do they control? Us. Well, yeah. Look at the cameras you see everywhere. Absolutely. These days. There's facial recognition on the Princess Highway. Yeah, and people want this. And like, I mean, I know when we're carrying a phone, that we're actually basically at a point in our lives where we're completely uh, on show for the for whoever. I hate the word they, but the they does exist. And Klaus Schwab, like the average punter on the street, would not know who Klaus Schwab is. And nor I did I know. I didn't know who he was until four years ago. Every, his agenda is right out there for the world to see. So he is... So what's his name? I'm going to write Klaus that. Schwab. C. No, K-L-A-O-U-S. And it's S-C-H-W-A-B. Now, one thing that most of the kids don't realise... I feel realize, like it's Kaiser Solsa and we're going oh to get my, knocked for saying yes. this. Yes. Well, do you know the worst thing is, that's so funny, you know the worst thing is all the kids these days that are protesting in the streets and, and you know, the BLM movement and all of that, every single one of these movements have been at the hands of these guys because these guys know how to G up a whole generation of people. Because when you have social unrest, it's so much easier to actually control people. If you've got strong, independent, critical thinkers, you're not going to get them to just you know yes sir no sir three bags full sir you're and my father was one of these people that never he 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 always questioned authority and not because he wanted to be a cad he just wanted to know well hang on a second how do I know what you're doing is the right thing for me because he fled that so once you flee communism you can smell it coming from a mile away he'd be rolling around in his grave now but my mother's definitely having ptsd she's like going oh my god there's so many things that are similar although we're still living the dream you know we've got food on the shelves you can have a garden here you can do you know what i mean we're, we're quite free okay i'm gonna pause i a hundred percent agree with you but I know that you haven't always been this way of thinking. No. And I want to go back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. Can we step back to come forward? Yeah. Um, I'm just making a note. You're right. You, this is what I love. That uh, That's why I'm here, I think, because a lot of people think I've changed, and I have. I've completely seen the light. And Winston Churchill had it said it perfectly. If you're not a socialist when you're 20, you don't have a heart. But if you're still a socialist when you're 50, you don't have a brain, right? Now, I'm all for giving and I'm a completely generous person and so should everyone be to a degree. But then there has to be that point where you do it for yourself. And now I don't take a cent from the government. I never have because I was taught that as a kid. But I had this massive... Um, kind of like chip on my shoulders where I said to my father oh we're lucky and he's like we're lucky because I worked hard and he expected us to work hard too like I come from if you want something you work for it because it isn't going to be given to you so how was school for you 
Um, well, my first language wasn't English. It was Croatian. Uh, it was different, you know. School was hard, but I went to Holy Family Primary School in Geelong where there was a whole other, a lot of other wogs and the Aussies that were there were great. And it was kind of like I couldn't read till I was in grade three. So you fell through the cracks quite easily. Yeah. You, my, my parents, even though we kind of Australianized ourselves to a degree, we were still embedded in a culture where my father was bringing up, creating a, 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 an environment for other ethnic people that were coming here to feel like they were part of a community. Like my grandmother came out here with my mother, I think in 57 or 58, her and my father met here 10 years after they emigrated here. And my grandmother was teaching people how to read and write English because she taught herself. And she, so I've always come from a, a background where you have to work hard, but I did turn my back on those values and became a greenie. You know, I voted the labor and my father was like, you're a fucking communist sort of thing. And I, so I grew up like that, always pushing back at him, pushing back at him. Yeah, that's what you do. That's what you do, right? Mm. But now, I mean, the amount of times where I just talk, because I talk to my father all the time, even though he's not here. Yeah. And the ocean is really inspiring for me to do that. And I have many stories about the ocean, but... I see dad there a lot and I just know he's everywhere and, and, and he's championing for us to just stay strong. During all of COVID, Tony and I didn't take a cent from the government, right? We just we just looked after ourselves. We completely went into, okay, how do we not only survive this but thrive during this? And that was hard. Don't get me wrong, it was hard. And I suppose that's when I got my education into... Wait, now I want to come to this... I know you. Uh, so you have been, you have a real creative side to you. Yeah. And so you got you got through school. Yes, I did well at school. Yeah. So once you learned to read in grade three, you, yeah, school I did wasn't well. Too bad. School was great. I, like, wanna, I just want to push into the, your, your artistic journey a little bit. School school was great, but you also got to think in the seventies and the eighties. Regardless of the fact that, and this is the thing, my whole family we never looked like wogs, right? Yeah. But I had a wog name. I had the name Sylvana. That was a, like a handicap from the get go yeah, yeah. but I somehow didn't let it define me if that makes sense I sort of well no that should yeah uh, you know, like yeah I was a floater and so I kind of just floated in and out of groups I always had there was a group called the BPs the beautiful people I'm sorry because some there's a lot of them live down here too that were in that group the BPs yeah the no. beautiful people they'll know who they are yeah. and I love them with all my heart you know yeah. so they were great girls but they were privileged girls right yeah. and I felt privileged too because at the time, my father's company was growing, and even though they were struggling, we didn't know that. I didn't know. I was poor until I was 18, but I felt rich, if that makes sense. And then school was okay, deferred from university because I wanted to travel, went to America and Europe, and in 1986, to be in the States was just extraordinary. And there was a lot of backlash during that time, too, because the recession was coming, the high living of the 80s had taken its toll on that country, the can was kicked down the road from, you know, Jimmy Carter to Reagan. So there was massive upheaval in that country. And here's this, I was a schmuck 18-year-old that got there and all they knew was Crocodile Dundee. And they'd be like, what do you do for a living? And I'd be like, oh, kill the kangaroos from the bloody tarmac mm -hmm. so the planes can land. Oh, man. Like, they believed it. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. as they do. And that sparked a love of travel. 
So then I came home, went back to university, stayed a year, and I thought, I can't do this. I was studying economics. Kept traveling. My parents bought the Barn Club then in 1988. The Barn Club in Geelong? Yes. Wow. Yeah, so I know. And that's what I mean. So for, for a man, my father was a man of many hats, you know, and I think he was just one of these people that he knew that wasn't for us on the day of taking that pub over. I think he said to my mother... Her name's Branka, but she went as Brenda. Most of her life, she was her Australian life was Brenda. But he was like, Branka, I don't th- think this is for us. We should get out of here. She's like, oh, no, the kids have got their hearts set on it. It was a fucking crazy time. Like, it was amazing to be there. It really taught me to be um, efficient, if that makes sense. So as a 20-year-old, your parents have a pub. And it was crazy times from Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. The music was insane. You know, anything from Henry Rollins like to... you had the keys to the city. Keys to the city, yeah. and but Like the ultimate. Yeah, my dad owns a pub. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, you know what? Like a lot of people thought... It was all beer and Skittles, a lot of beer, a lot of Skittles, because it was a time when the GF pyramid struck. Ah, uh, yes. So that's the, that's the thing that I love about my mother and father. They always survived every kink in the economy. They somehow managed to get out of the rut and create a really balanced kind of overview of where to go next. They never went down with the ship, which is what I love. And once again, they just cranked up the, okay, I have to work a little bit harder, I have to work a little bit harder. Didn't, you know, have their hand out crying poor. It was like, well, what do we do? How do we make this work? And then at about 1990, I think my dad's company really took a massive turn for the for the better. And so we got out of the pub I kept traveling and then I um, even sailed to Africa like this is crazy stuff on a yacht without a toilet, a motor and a shower. And that was... You went from where to where? From Darwin. So I was traveling around Australia. I was full hippie. I was a full hippie. And, um, but I, I don't know if it was in backlash to what my parents wanted me to be, which was a young liberal elitist maybe you know but not really I don't mean to say that but I think they had different plans for me they thought I was going to be a lawyer Mm. I didn't want that for myself so I um yeah set my sights on traveling but the best thing that I did traveling was I suppose hop on a yacht in Darwin and sail to Africa so I do live on a low low time preference I just wanted to get to Africa so how long did that take it took a year and a half. Fucking hell, a year and a half. Well, four months of sailing. Four months of sailing. No, a little bit out. Yeah, there we go. Four That's months nice. of sailing. Yeah. And then, um, so we went to Cocos Keeling, Mauritius. Oh, you did all the, did so, you go to Seychelles? Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, 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 no. Sorry. Um, we went to Christmas Island, Cocos Keeling, Mauritius Reunion, Madagascar, and then Africa. How many people on this boat? Four. Myself. Oh, my, my God. My husband at the time, Otis, and um, the skipper, and his, wait for it, his five-year-old son, whom we didn't know, he had basically kidnapped the child because the mother was autistic and the father was brain damaged. And when we met them in Darwin... We just thought he had custody of the child. So, and just, yeah, when when we got to Africa, I just realized, oh, we're going to get away from this guy. He was extraordinary. Like, he was an extraordinary skipper, but a year and a half with this person and a stolen child. 
Well, this is another thing how you don't know someone until you spend a kilo of salt with them over a dinner table. So when we... When we got on the yacht, he said... This is incredible. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It's the most crazy... Well, I tell people this story and they're just like, what were you thinking? And I said, well, by the time we got to Christmas Island, or Mauritius, I should say, my ex-husband wanted to jump and go and I said, I'm getting to Africa. Because if I say I'm going to do something, I'd do it. Yeah, yeah. And so it became like a mission to get there. Because boats... Make people crazy. He went batshit more yeah. than we did, right? Okay. But it was a 39-foot Hereshoff catch, so probably the length of this little bit bigger than this room, I'd say, and really like just cabin fever set in a lot. Yeah. But I don't know. It just became – I hated the color blue, but I can take myself, transport myself back to that time when, you know, you just walk constantly, you're moving. So the first – I think the first – two days it was like being on mars i cannot explain it because everyone understands what it's like to be on a boat when you're just in a tinny and you're fishing and stuff even perhaps on a cruise but when you're on a little cork and the swells are like you know 10 foot tall or whatever it's the most frightening yeah experience yeah the ocean in a small boat is yeah at night uh, and my watch was from 10 p.m. till 2 a.m. And that's when you get the strongest sense of how insignificant you are when you're in that environment. And, like, we saw whales. I used to, when I was really upset, dolphins would always show up at the bow. They'd sit with me until I stopped being upset. And that's for sure serious. Like, that used to happen quite often. And then the skipper was an old... He was an engineer, a civil engineer that actually just gave up on life. I think he'd had a lot of knocks. And so he created this boat that was completely solar, completely um, self-sufficient. Of course, it ran, it ran on solar energy. And even the, even the dinghy didn't – it had oars. So by the time we'd get to some places, I would just dive off and swim to shore because I just could not stand being on that boat anymore. And then um, – yeah, it was crazy. So when we got to Cocos Keeling, we were there for two months. And I remember he'd say to us, you're never going to find a place to stay here. You're just going to have to live on the yacht. And when when we're stationary or docked, moored, you have to pay me $20 a day to be here. And we're like, yeah, okay, whatever. And so, of course, people would hear the story even before we got there of these two batshit people that were sailing to Africa on this guy's yacht. So people would take us into their homes. In Cocos Keeling, we lived there for two months and we joined the, the runners club, the drinkers club, you know. We just became part of the community. Mauritius, people didn't want us to go. We were there for three months. Reunion, we were only there for like six weeks, and then Madagascar for three months, and then what an experience! It was amazing. It what was year amazing. Did you say that was nineteen ninety five, ninety five, ninety six. Wow! No internet, no phones. No, no, no. Yeah, I remember that period. No, no communication. And the ocean, let alone, is lawless and lawless. Like it's yeah. if you're looking to get off the grid that's that's the last sort of last frontier still now yeah. like it's yeah that's why no one knew what he was doing you know what i mean his daughter thought I've, i i often wonder what what harley's mother would have thought but 
she probably didn't even know. I don't know. I don't know. It was a very Darwin was kind of like child is now. No, but I often wonder if he's going to come and shoot me in the face because perhaps I tormented him on the yacht. Because <laughs> with cabin fever, sometimes he used to shit me, and I'd be like, <gasps> and I I'll never forget this. Once I had like a scarf or something. And I pulled it between, I was plaiting, I can't even remember what it was, but I was plaiting some yarn or something and he ran into it and he kind of like necked himself a little bit and fell over and I laughed. But that was only because I think I was completely batshit by then and it wasn't funny because I did love the child and I often used to say to the skipper, can you harness him in because... If he falls off, I'm going to have to jump in and save him. And his grandfather, who was the skipper, would say, well, then you're both dead because I can't save him and I can't save you, so just make sure you stay on this yacht. And I don't know, it just became... We sort of were living like pirates. I can't really explain it, but... No, I get it. I met some people in the Tallows who they came and stayed Mm. two nights at this camp that I was at. And one of the people didn't go back to the boat. Mm. and they'd been on that boat for so long and they'd left from Bali and they'd met up they were all friends and they met up and by the time they got to the Tallows they weren't friends anymore and one of them <laughs> did not get back on and the people that owned the camp know, yeah. had to fly her out yeah she was not going back yeah she, they were, it was so weird because it happens yeah and especially too like uh, it, it, the sound is and that's all you hear when you're down the bottom of the hull and then at the top you just hear and so these noises irritate you yet it's as still as you can imagine and the noise is deafening and there is absolutely nothing except the sound of the ocean and the people in your space. So, and what about oh, that young guy? I remember a little while ago who circumnavigated the world by himself. I don't know how they do that. Oh, the Aussie guy, what was his name? I forget his name. Uh, I know exactly who you mean, and there was a girl as well. But what he was, was the first one, name? he was the youngest at yeah, the time. Yeah, he was 17. Was it? I forget his name. They wrote a song about him. Yeah, he got a lot of publicity. Anyway, that's. Anyway, yeah, yeah boats. It's well, the whole. You know when people say. So I often say to people, uh, I've actually sailed because I go. I'd sail an ocean for you. I've actually sailed a whole ocean, and it's extraordinary. Would I do it again? No, I didn't. Well, if I didn't know what I knew, I would never do it. But now that I know, I. It's just it's trauma. So did like, you fly back from Africa? Yeah. We flew, well, and we actually sailed. We sailed again to Madagascar and then from Madagascar got a flight to Mauritius and from Mauritius flew home. So, yeah. But even Africa was extraordinary. Africa, back in 95, 96, we did the whole of Southwest Africa. But like crazy people, you know, no tours or anything like that. It was just... Was that post-apartheid? Yeah, just starting, just finished. Yeah. And it's funny you should say that because... I loved all the the real African the, the the locals, and it's hard to judge people because if you don't live there, you don't know what the circumstances, what the politics are. Yeah. I was very anti what the white people were doing, you know, because I'd be like, if you're going to give me fifty cents a day to do what that you expect them to do, I'd be stealing more than your sugar, and so there were so many problems already there. Like this is why I think I understand what's going on now because I could see the collapse of everything then. And this was pre 
social media pre-phones where everything just becomes where the, the noise is excessive as far as the news goes but when you're in the heart of it in the thick of it you always pick a side I don't know which side was right or wrong I do know that you can't treat people like dogs and not expect them to bite you. That's one thing that's for sure. hundred percent. And so these people needed their freedom and they got it. Unfortunately, though, a lot of that too was, I don't know, not, not dealt with the right way. You need to educate people properly and you need to really ensure that you're not just giving them things to compensate because what happens is if you have a certain criteria for or not criteria if you have to get a certain amount of education to become a doctor that should be the same for everyone and when you start making concessions for social economic class color what happens is 40 years down the track the cracks in hold on is that is that a fact is that what happens yeah pretty much what it means to become a doctor here isn't what it is in some African country? Well, no. There's they a certain quota. The yeah. That, Bullshit. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why a lot of South Africans are here. Yeah. It, what it does is de- it just destabilizes a Western society. And look, we're so privileged. I'm not saying that we're not privileged. Do you know what I mean? But what it does do is it just lowers the standard, lowers the bar. So instead of bringing these people up to the standard yeah, that's yeah, needed, yeah. they're actually doing them a disservice. But, and this is where governments can make big mistakes they feel like they're doing the right thing they feel like they're helping the underdog but way down the track when it's all said and done the problems and the cracks begin to show and you know a leaky boat's a leaky boat isn't it pardon the pun now yeah. <laughs> uh, now when you came back did you get is this when you decided did you go to, you went to school study writing is this correct no I, I discovered my voice on that yacht but then i went to work for a bank when i got back a bank a bank yeah so hold on let's yeah no okay a bank i'm throwing I, a tie I, here because you studied economics for a yeah, year walked away yeah. from it now you're working in a bank you've yeah. got a you've got a, a fascination with numbers i do i do and i'm not very good at i'm not very good at algebra and things like that but even ask tony every since he's met me all i do is budget and budget and budget and i always overspend because i'm just not on myself either i just give it away because i'm one of these people that if i've got it it burns a hole my father had huge generosity so he was always one of these people he helped so many people like he's funeral he had 1500 people there yeah. it's extraordinary 1500 like it was extraordinary and of every walk of life too which was amazing but um i do have a fascination with numbers but i also understood then even going back to 1998 hang on a second the corruption here from the managers and i only met a small tier of that sort of like world of banking and I was only there for 18 months and people were saying to me oh you know I can't believe you haven't got a promotion yet you just have to do this and do that and that's toe the party line and protocols and like I said we used to give money to people that couldn't afford to have it at an ATM they'd go to the bank and take out $20 too much and then be charged $40 oh my god I remember that yeah well that was when I was there and I was like I can't do this and they said well what do you want to do and I go I quit so I could have stayed there and gone quite high up that was the worst the worst wasn't it oh it's like instead of not allowing you to take that money out, they take it and then because you're broke and then you have double fucked. Double fucked. And so, and I think all of my travels, right, and 
those small moments of time when I slotted into the establishment, I kept thinking, this is bullshit. Like these people, what, what has happened to just, and coming back to my father, free market capitalism, where money that's looked after well, coupled with somebody that's prepared to really work hard. I hate the word hustle, but hustle, work hard. Why do you hate the word hustle? Because it's got a connotation that you're being a crook. Or a pimp. Or a pimp, yeah. I think <laughs> it's called word, though, network aligning, you know. But that's the politically correct one. I like yeah. hustle. Because yeah, the, hustle. The, hustle, the hustle finds the cash, right? And if the hustle works hard enough, the cash is going to look after that hustle. And that's what we've lost in this society. Everyone has their hand out thinking, you know... You owe me. No one owes you a fucking thing. You owe yourself. That's the only person you owe anything to. I have this other, um, it, it's it's kind of like it really bugs me and I forget who said it, but they said, never apologize for something you've done. And no, sorry, never apologize for something you haven't done and never accept the apology for the thing that wasn't done to you. And that's crucial. So Hold that on. wait, what? So never yeah. apologize for something you haven't done. Yeah, I get that one. And never accept the apology for something that wasn't done to you. I don't get that one. So at the moment, we're all saying sorry for things that we didn't do. And so we've lost sight of what we should be doing, which is working together and creating an environment where we're helping each other up, not pulling each other down. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, yeah, I don't understand what you're saying, but it's pretty far removed from the reality of the it? situation. Isn't it just, and how do we get back to helping to getting to an even playing field? How that's what I'm saying. And you know what it is? Get rid of big government and let's start making people because just through society, entrepreneurs and free-thinking people create the greater good for humanity. It's not big governments that are disconnected from what the average punter is going through. This is just an observation. This is something that I'm watching from a distance, right, as I live in my house in Janjak. But I don't live high on the hog. I live very, very minimally, and I like that. That's the best. Isn't it? Oh, completely. I'm, you know, I'm not a consumerist. I'm not into going out for dinner too much. I'm really into homegrown no, food. Low fo- a small fr- footprint. Small it's, footprint. Yeah, life footprint, whatever that saying is. It's good. You hit the nail on the head once again. All this greeny stuff, right? Whatever greeny means. I keep saying to people, I did cloth nappies. Not because... I just did cloth nappies because my grandmother said it's really good for the baby's bum and you're not going to be using a lot of detergent. You're not going to be buying those shitty plastic things that are just going to take up the space in the but bin. weren't cloth nappies, that, that was the norm not that long ago? Uh, apparently not. Apparently diapers, like whatever they are, nappy, nappies, nappy. Uh, I'm pretty sure I remember like you would have worn cloth nappies. That's I wore I mean. cloth nappies. But that would uh, maybe it was longer than I'm ex- letting on. But it was <laughs> doesn't feel like that long ago. That yeah, it was the norm. Exactly, and it's these small things that people just refuse to take. Well, when I say people, no, I'm but telling you, like, fix clothes not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. This, do you know this throwaway society that we've been subjected to, and it's all that fast fashion. We know who we have to blame for all these things, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. All of these 
everything's just a quick fix. Everything is cheap. Things have lost their value. We don't manufacture anymore. There's so many things that this country could do well and we're just not doing it and we've lost our way. We really, really have. And I don't even know how to find, the, I don't know what the solution is, you know. No, no. Well, look, honestly, like I, I the problem, you know, like it came up in someone, two people I've spoken with, but the person that nailed it really well was Graham Stockton and he was sort of like think global act local mm. and i you know but i still don't even know how to swallow that pill fully because it's say that again think global act local absolutely and but it's really um it's very difficult when you feel like 90 percent of the the society moves in the other way yeah it does you, you have 10 percent of people and most people in their core want to but they're so i think bogged down with consumerism well that paying the bills putting food looking after like accommodating to children as you know i don't know i'm not a parent but you are accommodating to your kids is huge in in a current society massive millions of dollars to raise them and this is where i'm going to get back to jeff booth because our conversation and you write about the creative stuff and you write about... Well, you've written scripts. Yeah, I have. And I've even optioned them, you know. But about 15 years ago, when someone said, we have to go to China for finance. And I'm oh, okay, like, so you had a script. Let's yeah. go, let's boil this down. So you wrote a, a script. This was after I left the bank. Yeah. Then I went to Europe and I lived in Europe for a little while. So I lived in Austria and lived there for six months and did a snow skis and, and met some amazing people and was writing the whole time. So writing just became, you know, a writer writes, a good writer writes daily. So I just was writing every single day and these things just promoted themselves more and more and more. And I... Were you just writing anything, stream of consciousness, or were you setting out with an agenda uh, and well, just writing I, subjectly? Well, the narrative has always been the search, I suppose. Yeah. What am I looking for? What's been? The, what's the journey about? What is it about? So on the yacht, of course, it was that just in itself was a story with its own narrative that was unique because of the environment. Did you keep a diary in that? Yeah, I've Fucking still got awesome. it. Yeah, okay. I've still got it and I laugh sometimes. I hate the colour blue. It comes up very often. But, you know, apart from that. And then, so then I really started to get serious and I met an actress while we were away in um, Portugal and she inspired me and I said to her, I'm going to learn how to write screenplays and she said, you should. So I did. So I went, came back home, was living in Troon Avenue at the time and did a course with the Australian School of Journalism and I just did a really like um, intense one year uh, I suppose diploma of screenwriting so I got the basics and then Robert McKee you'd know him story he's it's a great book it's kind of story. like story Robert McKee it's the holy grail of narrative functionality character uh, you know yeah. sense of place all of the things that are needed to create the show don't tell scenario that screenwriting is like underpinned by and so I did that worked with this amazing woman called Chrissy Tintner for seven years on the script that I was writing and her father was that crazy director Jorge Tintner you'd remember him from he had crazy billowing grey hair and he like dun, 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 if he would do it was crazy batshit Beethoven stuff 
um, he he was her father and he survived the Holocaust. So we just had this, we had this kind of connection, me being the Croatian with the father that escaped communism, her father being way more intense, the young guy that escaped Auschwitz and survived as his whole family perished before his eyes. We connected for seven years, yeah, like her journey in itself is extraordinary. She's still working at Fox Studios. She's trying to get a lot of films up at the moment. She's got a slate of them. And so we worked very, very keenly together. And she said, I think we have to go to China eventually when we couldn't find the funding here because of, I suppose, just two women that weren't, we, we didn't have any runs on the board. There was a few things, but not enough to generate four or $5 million worth of um, funding. So she was like, well, we should go to China. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable with that. Like that just goes against everything that I believe in. I know what was happening in China at the time. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sit well with me. So I shelved that whole project and then unfortunately got divorced. And so then it just went into full survival mode where just wanted to make sure that my children would have everything. And I'm a stubborn mule. So I still refuse to take any handouts from the government. Never have. Was this the script that you wanted to shoot down at Apollo Bay? Port Campbell. Port Campbell, yeah. Okay, yeah. There was a house in Apollo Bay that I think you were actually attached to that we were going to use that Jonesy liked the look of and we wanted to use it for one of the um, homes in the film. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how we got wind of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, Storm Point, I think it's called. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, did, so it was just out of town there on the yeah, left. Yeah, yeah. Um, now... What happened? Did you write that? Did you still have the yeah, rights yeah. to it? Yeah, I've still got the rights to it. Um, it just, it, it got crazy. All these people got involved. Like Ian Jones, he was one of my best friends on the film. He was the DOP for um, uh, Bad Boy Bubby. Who's the director <laughs> that made all of those crazy films? Uh, Ralph Deheer. So he used to be the eyes and the ears and the actual kind of the guy that ran the show for Ralph Deheer. So he did 10 Canoes. He and I oh, became cool. very good friends. And and The Tracker was another film that he did. So Ian and I kind of took this upon ourselves that we were going to make it, we were going to make it, we were going to make it. We just couldn't get the funding for it. And so I haven't talked to him for a while. I should get back in touch with these people, but you know. Well, you should really look at the budget. Yeah, well, it would be cheaper now because, but at the time there was no um, high high definition cameras and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've never given up on it. We haven't given up on it. We still believe in it. I still believe in it because it's still a story that's like you know how Billy Wilder used to kind of observe things from a kind of traditional Orthodox Jewish perception. And so Hollywood to him, when he was making like the misfits, for example, with Marilyn Monroe and Jimmy Dean and um, Marlon Brando, he was, he was honing into a lot of the outsider issues that these people were going through. So he could bring real grit to a story. And as a European observing surfers, I felt like I was bringing, and this is what Chrissy and Ian, Chrissy Tintner's, that she was the director, um, saw in this script was just the, I suppose, the relationship between the ocean and self-healing. And I refused to go down the traditional path of the man sweeps up the girl from the beach and saves her. And that was in itself a really hard sell. 
but I've never changed it, so I should. And a lot. I'd of, love to read it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm happy to send it over. And it was kind of like we were trying to sell it. We were packaging it. So imagine these two batshit crazy chicks walking into offices, and we were walking into Mark Morrissey's office at the time. Um, uh, Michael Gudinski, all of these mob were sitting like opposite us. And we're like saying, imagine this gothic styled surf film where there's no tits and ass, but there's there's real like matrix style wetsuits and you've got this dark brooding climate, you've got these massive big waves and you've got this like perfectly um, brooding landscape that marries itself to the the grunt of the ocean. And they just looked at us like these two are batshit. <laughs> but we knew what we wanted to do because yeah, yeah, yeah. we were so invested in it. You know oh, I mean? totally understand. But like going, just hearing what you're saying and just we uh, like going through my own trajectory of nearly putting the cap on a second feature. Oh, how hard. It's so hard. But like, look at, do you need go through that budget again because after doing the first one which cost a lot of money and we didn't make a fucking cent back on it yeah and realizing like oh my god and in the current saturated market with yeah. so many yeah platforms that it's just it's a dog eat dog and now these platforms are creating their own content yeah you yeah. gotta keep up with that you gotta have you gotta to and try and make money you gotta you got to make it for as little as possible with any chance of getting your money back. I know. How is that too? It's fucked. And bluebirds are just, they're so rare. I mean, you can probably, there's a hundred bluebirds that you can name off the top of the, off the top of your hand, but, or head. And we were watching one the other day of all the things. My daughter and I watched the cheesiest film, um, Dirty Dancing, and we were killing ourselves laughing at how cheese it was. But $6 million to make, Two hundred and fourteen million dollars at the box office in in the U.S. alone. Imagine ancillary rights. Imagine global, um, like when they were uh, what what's called when you hand it out globally. Oh, I've had a mind blank, but anyway, ancillary rights on planes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. all the the, the yeah, DVDs and, that yeah. would have been distribution. That's what yeah. I'm looking at. Imagine global distribution. Imagine. When you yeah, they know, cut the globe up into like fourteen Netflix, pieces. Yeah, and like more. The amount of money that that film would have made, and no one ever knows when that's going to happen. It can be the cheesiest. You can have the biggest, like, greatest film, and it can be a flop. So, just depend. You know, there's a lot to be said about timing, right place, right time. But it's also stories, really. Story. Yeah, it comes. I think like if it's not flying off the page. And it's not going to, you know, it feels like your life depends, depends on me telling you sto yeah. story then. If you just like, I think you can make one or two at a real low budget to walk through the experiences and lessons that you need to learn. Mm. But if you're going to go into something with, you know, like, it's just like, fuck. Tony and I often talk about that, you know, because like, this is going to sound really strange, but it's actually true. So when I read the script a couple of years ago and then I had a moment where I was sitting in my beautiful home in Jark and it's a little tent, you know, it looks like a boat. It actually looks like a boat hmm. because we actually did a reno on it. And from one point of the house to the other point of the house, you can see completely down each level. It's, it's extraordinary. And then a lot of the fixtures have got rope and wood because it's, you know, it's one of those. Nordic? No, we should though. We should. <laughs> Funny, the yacht that I sailed on was the Nereid, which was some sea creature name for some Norwegian goddess of the sea. I don't know. But uh, getting back to the house, and I thought, oh shit, 
I've actually written the script was a cathartic expression of where I was when I wrote it and to where I am now. It's almost like it's come full circle and that script was the point that where my life had then taken on another turn, which was kind of travelling again with the children, trying to be adventurous with them and then COVID hit and and it was like oh I can't travel anymore for a little while and that's when I went back to finance which is my one true love I think (laughs) really yeah macroeconomics and geopolitics and anthropology are the three things I adore and I think sorry anthropology is a study of humanity yeah and how it exists in the changing of society where it goes through all its structural changes and its ideological changes and its religious kind of incarnations and all that sort of stuff so yeah the study of humanity but it's also tied in deeply with scientific history and philosophy and stuff like that and so I don't know I think I just in general I love studying people but as you know, I'm a bit of an introvert, so I don't really like being around people. Everyone thinks. You can be both. I can be both. You can be both. I get it's exhausted. It's taking me a while to realize that. Yeah, you can be both, can't you? And then like when I'm out in the crowd, everyone thinks that... You're oh, an extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm exhausted when I leave. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, Holy shit. Yeah, Locked me up for two days. Yeah. yeah. And, and the bottom line is too, I just want to learn. We've got such a short amount of time on this planet. And so... I think there was a time when I was a full ABC 774 nerd radio head, you know, when I thought of being the intellect that I should be. So I was listening to this all the time. And um, what's his name? Raphael Epstein. He loved me for some reason. And he would read out my tweet, not tweets, my little texts and stuff. And one of them he read out. And I also did changing tracks as well. So I've, it's a you write a story about where you were at a particular time to a particular song and how it still has some kind of meaning to you now and when he read out a few things I'm like shit is he talking about me because I feel so old and boring now but I know that I've done what I had to do and getting back to what's happening now all I want is for my kids to have the freedom that I had which was a ticket in my back pocket and a backpack and a pocket full of dreams and that sounds so cliche and old school and outdated but that's how it should be we should be allowed to live no i think it's been i I think about this all the time and i'm not even Mm. a parent but like me Mm. i walked out of school and went over to western australia and lived in margaret river and surfed and didn't go to university and didn't do any of that stuff and it felt it was the most liberating thing I don't know. And looking at to the pressures that have, people have on kids now and coming out of school and what are they going to do? And there's n- like not the freedom of land that w- was once there. Like if you look at that David Attenborough documentary, the latest one where he goes through every decade it. and go, Hey, you haven't seen it no. every decade from when he started off as a, what is he? Uh, uh, a conservationist, conservationist j- journalist. Mm. Cause he's documenting, he's been mm. documenting nature for since he was 18 or however mm. old, maybe younger. He goes through on the decade and does the, natural earth to not natural earth not natural earth being like where we've farmed where there's a city and does the ratio now when he starts out the ratio was tipped in favor of nature and the way it comes through because i don't know how old he is now he's in his 80s or 90s 90s it's 
disturbing where that percentage gets to at the end of the movie. Now, I reckon to sell that movie, they had to make him say something like, oh, I think we can pull it back. Yeah. But realistically, when you look at that sway... You can pull it back, but you know what? It's going to take society a 180-degree flippening of how they think. And this is where the cultural wars begin, right? I don't see it being a... It can't be a choice. We're so far down the track that the powers to be aren't going to give that over without... A fight. A a fight or some natural catastrophe that just fucks us and we have to go back to... I think the natural catastrophe is here. So this is where... I love that because you're coming from from a really conservation level, like um, nature, land trees abundance which is how it should be and what we've moved into and we were talking about her briefly we know who we're talking about kim kardashian that whole cell is this arid broken artificial fucked landscape that they use someone like her to actually brainwash all of the kids into thinking that that's how we should be but you know what we should be doing all that fast food shit that stuff needs to go that is toxic not only to our children but to the detriment of the planet and not i'm not i know that there's climate change but we can actually control it and we can pull it back and you know all we have to do is stop with all the crap that we eat stop allowing big pharma to have a massive influence on us we are the people we're the power we're the army it's not these oligarchs it's not big pharma it's not klaus schwab and the world economic forum it's not the world um the world health organization they do some great things but what's happened is over time these companies have become so corrupted and so they need everything to be broken and dead and in need of a of a pump of some kind of artificial something to keep it alive and running. If we can strip that back and you know how it's going to happen if we fix the money, because at the moment everything revolves around a broken system economically. Just to strengthen what you're saying in my mind, communism, why are we not communists? Because communism doesn't work. Doesn't work. Because of human greed. It, for on only paper, a certain amount uh, on paper it looks like a great society put it into practice and the human heart unfortunately not all of us but it it, it fails because of greed right yeah. and so then if we push that into a um uh, communism and uh individualism what, well what are we living in now it's not it's we're living in crony capitalism, capitalism. we need Thank we you. need free market cap if communism doesn't work because of corruption capitalism isn't going to end up working in because of corruption as well yes and but you know why it's not working because we have crony capitalism we have this these elites that sit at the top and they for example in america forty six thousand dollars was printed per person in 2020 three thousand of those dollars came to each individual person what the fuck happened to the other 43,000? It went into the pockets of the Hillary Clintons and the, uh, the, well, she's got a foundation. I pick on her because she's a very corrupt politician and they're all corrupt, but there are some that are better at it than others, right? And even, I, I don't want to get into politics because I'm 
I don't believe in politicians anymore. You know what I believe in? We need to have rules, no rulers. I'm not a, I'm not an anarchical libertarian, but what I am is... This is what Russell Brand says. Yeah, I'm a free-thinking, forward-thinking, well well-adjusted human that knows that I'm not going to try and steal from you to have more. So we've created this society at the moment where we're so top-heavy at the top and then there's all these bottom feeders that lobby these top-heavy governmental kind of like um, institutions so they can all get a piece of the pie, they can get a piece of the pie, and the only way they can keep on money, making money, is by using us as a product and selling us shit so that we stay addicted to those products. I mean, I don't know how you turn back the time of McDonald's and like hungry when I drive down that road I'm, I know I'm jumping around here but when I drive down the Torquay Highway and I see Hungry Jacks Carl's Jr McDonald's KFC Red and Red Dan Star. Murphy's yeah, in yeah. <laughs> 500 metres of Look each other how many other. shops have just sprung up around town sorry I'm disgusted by that like really yeah you and I both know and yet We've got all these politicians and no solutions. What do we have? We're paying more now than we ever have for our rates. We're paying more than we ever have for remaining green, so to speak. Yet I'm I'm not seeing any bang for the buck here. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I just think humans, especially ones like ourselves that deeply care about the environment, where they live, pollution, they're going to just take it upon themselves to look after their world. And it's fact, if you educate enough people, they're not going to pollute. This is what shits me about California, for example. That is a state that has the largest carbon footprint on the planet, yet they virtue signal the loudest and then go and buy all of their oil from Ecuador so that they can service their EV vehicles that need fossil fuels still to run. And the batteries themselves are created by cobalt, which is mined in the Congo by 12 year olds it's such virtue signaling fucking bullshit that if people I said this to you before if people knew the way the banking system was run and the way this whole environmental um, kind of its heresy is being run at the moment there would be a revolution in the street by the morning and that is a fact right we're just fed so much bullshit now because everyone on mainstream media is part of the juggernaut of propaganda they're being paid to just shill government content so there's there's no one telling the truth anymore well if the news was real people would be asking these questions they would be wouldn't they Exactly. So I walk into your home. So what did the news say? Like, you know, you know, why have we got 10 more McDonald's in the southwest? Of, no uh, one's asked that like, question, do they? And now we're hearing that there's, a, there's, a, there's some kind of atmospheric... Um, uh, uh, some kind of atmospheric poison around the globe that's creating these heart issues and climate crisis. It's going to exacerbate it. I mean, when I heard that, I'm like, what the fuck? I haven't switched on the television for three years. I don't watch it. I don't care for it. I don't care for anything that's on mainstream media. But all I know is when I walk into your home, I get a sense of peace and a real there's there's joy here does that make sense and joy and simplicity has been lost due to complication by celebrity 
Hollywood. I mean, they tell us how we should be living. They're, they're the further they, they just should just shut their mouths. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why I've separated myself. Even the dream of filmmaking, it's lost its luster because of. It's beholden to China. Now, there's five. There's, I don't know how many companies run out of there, but most of them. No, but uh, let me stop you there. And I, 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 I too can feel pretty burnt out on that aspect. But mm. I think storytelling is important. Like, it, even on this level, uh, and even if you can adapt it to screen, and if you can keep it on the smaller budget where you're not having to lean on these big companies. Exactly. Yeah. And you can take it back to the micro i i think it's a, it's a really powerful and beautiful tool but would you eat but if you went against the grain against the narrative today i wonder if you'd even get distribution i wonder if you've even if you'd even get a platform to well, say your if my film doesn't get into myth which i just got a submission into which i've been working on for the last five years i can't wait to see it this will be like i will be i would like to talk to you afterwards because it's a local story it's got amazing people attached to it. Yeah. I'm really proud of it. I'm more proud of the other one that cost nearly a million US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one was done for under 100 AUD. So amazing. And uh, like, I'll be at a, a complete loss. I just have to shake your hand because if you can actually get a film from concept page to print, extraordinary. That is so hard to do. Well, if it doesn't get into MIF this year, I'll be I'll be talking to you because this is like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then I will really be confused by the whole process. Yeah. Well, you know, agendas, once again, when there's agendas attached to things, it's sometimes it's not the person who's best qualified to tell the story that gets to tell it. It's the person that ticks all the boxes and that's the society that we've become and that's sad. That is, but like like you were saying before, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to keep forging on. Truth, that, you know, let, who says it? Let the truth set you free. As I'm looking at those fantastic paintings, they've got such a 70s vibe to them. And that's the truth. The truth was then, and that's when it all fucked up. Like what the fuck happened in 1971? It's telling that 50 years later, as we're watching society, kind of it's burning. Sri Lanka's right. Pakistan's next, it's Turkey. Funny, um, you know, Virginia's dad just got back from Sri Lanka not mm, long ago before yeah. it all hit the fan and he sort of went over unawares yeah. and came back and goes, that country is on the edge of collapse. And yeah. we're like, what? And he's like, I'm not kidding you. I, I couldn't find fuel for my motorbike. Yeah, no. You, but it's it's not it's it's coming here too. But the thing is, it's going to collapse from the outside in. So when you're on first class in the Titanic, you're not worrying about those third class people that have got the water lapping at their feet, are you? So if people think that we're immune to what's happening over there, that it isn't going, it's not going to be as a, a big a catastrophe because. Like you can have a veggie patch here, you can have a few chickens. These people are hand to mouth. They rely on whatever they can get that day. All they, well, not all of them, but the majority of third world countries, they're not thinking about. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just thinking yeah. about how am I going to feed my yeah. family for this day or yeah. this week, right? If you saw, but that's what makes them so fucking happy half of the time. They're more right. happy than us. That's right. But you know, America's um, they've they've got no baby formula. Is that right? It's right. And you know, because I, I know a lot of Americans at the moment, they've been front running it for a while because they have the cash to do it. 
Australia just sent 27.5 million bottles bottles of baby. Why, why do they have no baby formula? Because the collapse in the supply system, um, this is so complicated, but basically when Putin had had just he'd been poking the dog or poking the bear poking the bear poking the bear for a long time he'd been wanting to get into discussions with the west no one ever took him seriously oh yeah this it's crazy when you look at how much he actually held an olive branch out to the west oh yeah over but the no years. one hears this no one hears this right so he creates or he russia owns 60% of the commodities that are exported worldwide now, if you don't own, you can have all the paper money you like in the world. You can have all the gold in the world. You can have all the Bitcoin in the world. You can have all the money in the world. But if you don't have commodities to sell, you are effectively poverty stricken, right? So the day that he invaded Ukraine, which was the 24th of February, this great guy called Lawrence Lepard, he's a bit of a gold bug. He said the US dollar was shot in the head and the reserve currency was killed and the world is now going into a completely different economic kind of revolution. Russia controls the grain, Russia controls the oil, the gas, everything that's supplied to Europe. So if people think that Were Europe... Were they cutting off Poland yeah, recently? Yeah. Did they do it? They did it. Uh, yeah, because Poland refuses to pay in rubles. In rubles. So what, what's the, what, what, now what are they going to do for gas? You're just going to see people starve. We're actually going to see a global famine and no one's talking... Uh, don't even get me... This is when I get really hot under the collar, John, and I apologise for my passion in this particular... Um, conversation people are going to die that's the bottom line there will be a global famine and it's going to take out people in Europe and it's going to take out people in Africa but the biggest thing the biggest shock to people is going to be what happens in Europe people are going to starve to death and they're going to freeze to death because if you don't have gas and this is the whole point we cannot move away we can we can work hard to make renewables as accessible to everyone as possible, but we also have to do it in conjunction with clean fossil fuel. And instead of worrying so much on all the carbon credits and all the regulations that government taxes us on, we should be working as a, as a global society on how do we make sure that everybody has access to reliable energy because reliable energy means sustaining life if you sustain life and you have a better quality of life these people are going to make damn sure that their lifestyle is healthier so hold on yeah i get it but we've just got to get through this uh colossal fucking speed hump that yeah. is a war in europe yeah and you're saying that the, the petrodollar has to go it's gone already that was shot in the head that's gone so I've stopped watching the news because it was getting to... Um, it was Just propaganda. Well, it was fucking up my mental yeah. health. I was yeah. looking at it way too much. And mm. my, you need to just look at something and it's just negative, negative, negative. Yeah. And suddenly I realized that I'm just talking negative. Yeah. And finding it hard when I'm surrounded by beauty. Yeah, exactly. So this is a now, now as collectively as a community. So we have these meetings at my home and they're not secret meetings. They're just meetings of a few like-minded people. And what we do is we sit there and we're like, okay, so if there's a supply shock of some sort and there's a certain amount of time, 
we know that we're not going to be getting things into the supermarket. How do we then kick in an alternate plan to just keep on living well? And this is what we need to focus on. My grandmother had this great saying, look after your garden and that will feed your family. Once that garden feeds your family, it can feed your community. Once you can feed your community, then you can feed your state. Once you can feed your state, you can feed your country. So small from little things, big things grow. You've got space here. Everyone should be growing a garden right now or at least finding a co-op of people that have the same like-minded sensibility where you can still get some tomatoes and some Do you know at the start of uh, all this a few years ago, a few mm-hmm. houses, doors up, they have just, it's all veggie patch. Yeah, it should be. It's, yeah. Do you know where the wealth is going to be in the, in the coming decades? In land, cows, chickens. And this is what I keep saying. There's this guy called Texas Slim. He's a mate of ours from Texas. And he's a global traveller. And he was about to retire. He was a ski instructor, you know, just living the dream. Decided he he worked in Intel in the 90s, kind of made a bit of money from Google and things like that, and then just decided to retire. He's come back into the fore of, like, the American psych with this initiative called the Texas Beef Initiative, and then they removed the Texas, and now it's just called the Beef Initiative. He's taken on Monsanto and um, Bayer, and all of those companies that have been poisoning the landscape of the United States for the last 20 years, right, with just shit, polluting the soil, Mm. polluting the veggies, and taking it. And then when you see those wind farms, I'm sorry, but those turbines are so expensive to make, right? Mm. They use chemicals. They use, like, slave labor. They only last 15 years. They're not sustainable in in adverse weather conditions. So everyone has this narrative. And you can't re, you can't. They're not landfill. Even, yeah, you can't recycle those props. Yeah, no. So instead of instead of having trees and cows and you know cows do not create greenhouse emissions they actually fertilize the grass and it's all regenerative it's just we've been sold the kool-aid through the narrative of the media and i was one of these people that believed it until i started doing my research and i'm like holy shit and these are some people that if people want to question what i'm saying his name's alex epstein then there's a guy called brian grit another guy called mike umbro another guy called marty bent these are all young guys in their 30s that are taking on the old school mentality which is jp morgan um blackrock vanguard all of these well, it's in was it conspiracy when the dude goes to um, you know the who is like the agriculture union or whatever. He's probably Bill Gates. Well, whoever it was, and then he just couldn't get through, and they were like killing people. Mm. In um, did you see? Have you seen? Have you seen Cowspiracy? No. no. Oh fuck! You're going to have your mind blown. Yeah. I haven't watched Seaspiracy because the Cowspiracy blew my mind so much onto uh, big corporate farming oh, and what it's happens. Awful. It's um, awful. It's fascinating. It was awful and fascinating. Yeah, the truth of it. And then I couldn't watch Seaspiracy yet because I'm just so scared of what that information is going to be. I think you know the best way to look at all of this, John. It's because you can be overwhelmed by the big picture because it's it's by design. It's all been engineered by design to for the few like free thinkers that are still out there to just 
go to look like morons to look like conspiracy theory tinfoil hat wearing morons but at the end of the day if you dig deep enough big business is just big money and they're all tied in and there's only a few of them and and it's like the googles and it's the apples and do you know a few companies but at the end of the day it's us small guys it's the small things just Go and shake a farmer's hand, as um, Texas Sling would say. Go and shake your rancher's hand. Find out where it is that you can buy a little bit of beef. Don't let people suck you into thinking that beef is, you know, the cause for global warming. It's not because that fake meat is way worse. That's filled with so many additives and preservatives. And do you know how much farming and, like, destruction is caused by that? probably just as much i mean i don't know i'm not well versed in any of that no but any farming like if you've spent time on the land that you just know in today's like which i have um the chemicals that go into cropping is awful it's killing us that's why there's i'm gonna say it that's why there's way more fat people when i was i've said it and i'm not like everyone's people that know me will say oh she's a fattest no my daughter made uh, an observation she was like oh mum, 70s and 80s there weren't very many overweight people were there and i was like no it's because the food is slowly poisoning us it's filled with chemicals so it's food but it's not nutritious and all of these things need to be we need to be taught at school about how to grow a garden we need to be taught how i mean i did home economics i did sewing yeah. there's nothing wrong with me like i've lived a great life learn how to sew your sock up if it's got a hole in it especially if it's really good wool at the top and there's just a hole at the bottom do you know what i mean these yeah, yeah, basic yeah, yeah. everyday common sense kind of old school values that we've just lost they've, they've well, become kids don't want to fucking know like honestly no, they don't no like, no it's my, like, my daughter looks at me like you're mental why would i i'll just go to kmart and buy a pair yeah and you know they've got different you know because as we we're saying before it's i'm grumpy fuck and <laughs> you know i was driving down the coast of my mate the other day and I, we looked at each other and went maybe we're just getting old definitely you know like but when did wisdom become a crime when did being old and having foresight i i still value what my grandmother taught me what my father taught me what my mother taught me you know what i mean well it's like and and look in in the societies that i think is a benchmark and i would say i think the um aboriginals uh the top of the tree for me mm. how they lived and how they back to basics yeah they coexisted with earth for 40 50,000 how many years and in harmony with the day-to-day and they the spiritual knew to burn life off. they knew they knew exactly they knew what everything, to do but their what my drawing to was their elders were very important yeah yeah yes and there you go there's a classic example of what should be taught in schools let's listen to the elders let's look back in history because now they burn history books from the past you can't even well i mean i mean sometimes i like i'm real bad because i fucking smash the boomers you know and i think oh, i smash the boomers too i'm a gen xer I'm yeah, a me too. yeah yeah <laughs> i know we shouldn't say there's 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 this guy called greg foss that i absolutely love he's an economist he's ex wall street and he's a boomer but 
he apologizes constantly for he was there in the GFC collapse in 2008 and when you listen to him speak he's trying to really make amends with all the things that have gone wrong in the world and like I'm in a different circle of people now because you know I'm I love my bitcoin that's my that that's how I think we're going to actually in, and I hope I see it in my lifetime but probably not in 20 years time you're going to get that balance of abundance when you monetize energy and energy becomes part of creating a society where things get cheaper and you need less in order to live better that is the 180 degree shift that people can't get their heads around because inflation and current prices and the way we're living right now has all been designed to keep us on the rat reel, rat wheel so that the oligarchs can stay rich at the expense of us serfdom really well it only works if we're spending money that's right so if we're creating goods that are just valuable you think about it a washing machine back in the day would last you for like 30 years you'd get it fixed yeah, yeah. And the chips. Thank God the US are now looking into the ASIC, my, the, the, the chips, you know, the ASIC chips that are basically in everything. All we need to do is, as, as a society, is stay away from centralized money and those central banking digital currencies, they will be the downfall of humanity. If we go down that path, then we're on an AI trajectory. Oh, you mean if we have a one currency global Yeah, thing? yeah. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck that. I just think it's so... What, what, what to me is invaluable is difference. And Autonomy as well. Cultures have difference and they have... You know, that's what made traveling so great. Yeah. Not that long ago, when cultures were so traditional, and the more that we become global and we, yes. the, the, the cultures are melding and we're all becoming bland. Yeah, that's so well said. And uh, if I think if we all, be, the more the currencies collect into one, like in Europe, it's it's the downfall of individualism well and big brother spooks up yeah. to make sure that everyone's towing the line on what that is and i just think having cash within the economy is so important mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what funny you should say that and these are all the things and i won't speak too much about it because it's such a like massive rabbit hole to dive down into but Bitcoin is the only decentralized digital money that can be peer-to-peer. -peer. So if you held a Bitcoin wallet like I do and I decided to buy that microphone off you, there would be absolutely no government intervention as long as this is a transaction between you and I. And the only people that would know about it is us and the cyber hornet of cyberpunks that have to decode the transaction and verify it. So it's mind-boggling technology, but it's so simple in its essence because it's controlled by everyone and owned by no one, and that's what people can't get their head around. And eventually it will come to pass that it will be just how we live, but we have to get past these old farts that are now controlling the world. And there's a few of them. It is the Klaus Schwab's, the Christine Lagarde's, the Jerome Powell's. Like, I've studied these people. They do not have our best interest at heart. 
Bill Gates is another one. He's awful. I know, I know. Don't touch that me on that one. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's interesting when you look at the... I've only seen a few of them, but there's... Prince the di- Charles. The oh, Diagrams just, uh, of companies that you think are individual companies. No, they're not. And then you look at the umbrella company that actually owns the all The conflict those. of interest is extraordinary. Yeah. And that's... I suppose with the names that are behind because I don't really understand too much but when you pull it when you can pull back the the, the, lens. the lens and look at the bigger thing it's like what it's that's- it's the conflict of interest that is attached to these companies like if someone's selling Coca-Cola I'm sorry but you should not be selling um, medication for diabetes yet somehow they all seem to coalesce together and this is what kills me that well, you have I, I, yeah sorry to cut you off but my um, I'm not going to say who it is a friend of mine spends a fair bit of time in the dark web mm. his parents have just informed me mm. and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> I don't do you know I've never been on the dark web me neither but I want him to go in there and look because I'm diabetic yeah 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 yeah. is there because I another friend of mine sent me an article on someone that had cured themselves of yeah, being yeah. type one, yeah. and I definitely believe that there is information being smothered. Oh, for sure, for um, sure, John. It, the, it doesn't make money. Well, it, I think it, it's the biggest money spinner in the world. I believe for medication, there's, there's diabetes is the biggest thing. It's the biggest that and heart and disease. That and heart. And now I'm going to say it, COVID. But when in the history of humanity has one type of medication being a one-size-fits-all for 8 billion people. It does not exist. And we're now sliding down that slippery slope of do we need to be injected just to actually have a feeling of euphoria? You know, even children on medications, I'm not going to go down that path because I don't know much about it, but I do know quite a few kids that are medicated and I'm like, are you fucking serious? What about fresh air, sunshine, a good hollering at every now and again if they're being a cuck and just be there? Do you know what I mean? They're the, they're the four essential medical kind of um, properties that I would inject into my child's lifestyle and it certainly isn't medication. It certainly isn't lining the pockets of somebody else's conglomeration and th- these are the things that stress me out no i know and, and i get it and i'm not a parent and i can't comment on that because i'm no doubt that if someone is a parent and their child is on the, the, what they perceive to be the edge of living and non-living anymore mm. and you you could say taking medication might turn you into a non-living anyway yeah but if they're in such fear themselves they're clutching at straws and they might not be that educated point point taken point taken you know what and and sometimes i shoot at the hip and say things i just no, no, we all do yeah because i know how it was with my kids it was just and it's interesting and, and it, tony observes this all all the time I came from a family that we should really, like my dad's story, I should be in the gutter somewhere in Norlane, not coping, not living very well. When you just leave your family at 15 and come to a new country and have no money, you should be one of those people that ends up really sort of on the wrong side of the tracks. And the values that my grandmother, when he met my mother and then my grandmother instilled in him was the values that he wasn't getting from back home because who knows there in in Croatia or Yugoslavia at the time when it was under full communist regime, whether he would have had the same values and respect to his elders and stuff like that. So 
I'm I'm probably judgmental on medication because I, I, uh, yeah, I no, haven't. I, it's easy to be, and I, I yeah, I, I, like... I, and I apologise for that for anyone listening that has you know those. They're probably thinking, oh, what the fuck does she know? Which I don't. Well, I d- none of us do, but we do know that like there are big there are issues at play that are making not just kids but adults yeah. mentally unwell. Yeah, that stem from like if you're not acutely aware of your own mind watching the news morning and night can be the start of that coupled with fast food if i was to watch the news go down there and get some maccas can you imagine you by lunch come and have a chat to me i'll be in a fucking world of pain oh yeah world of pain (laughs) as Stubbsy would say yeah (laughs) and it's 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 like it's acutely aware if i eat mcdonald's and i'm on the road somewhere and i'm like because i'm rarely eat it yeah i go this is fucking delicious this is fucking delicious and you know how shit you're gonna feel afterwards and it's like start watching the clock yeah and watch my mental health go down isn't that funny and you know like tony would not eat any of that stuff he just doesn't touch it he just says it's poison. he wouldn't put a lolly in his mouth it's poison and the other day saturday i had a fillet of fish and i felt shit all day and it was one little fillet of fish can you imagine if you're consuming that day in day out day in day out and this is why i'm a really big believer in exercise proof of work well, it's exercise and gut health so gut, gut health, flora yeah. actually now is proven to talk yes. to the mind believe that 100 percent. it's scientifically proven yeah. that your gut and mind connect yeah yeah and so if you're putting that in but yeah exercise totally yeah, that's just for your mental health more than anything. If you feel physically fitter, you feel better just because you can move. That's yeah, what yeah. it is. You yeah. Know? Well, when you've got the flu or you got, you're got mm. uh, injured, mm. you can be pretty like... Yeah, yeah well, exactly. You heal. You heal better when you're healthier. And I mean, these are all things that's not rocket science. And that's why I can't believe that we're just down this path. I can't believe we're sitting here in 2022. We should be living in a world of abundance globally. We're actually no longer starving. We're now, there's more overweight people in the world than there's ever been. Yet you still have massive poverty in parts of Africa. But that is changing because the one thing that I love about these third world countries is, and continents, they can change their whole economic trajectory on the turn of a dime and that's because they're not beholden to this whole other form of structures where the red tape the red tape yes they can just do it like that bang and everyone goes why have they got mobile phones and i'm like going because they didn't have telecommunication telecommunication towers that's why they can just change on a dime and Hopefully, I'm hoping that this next transition, because we are in the fourth turning, whether people want to see it or not, they'll they'll understand it when it happens. The world as we know it is changing. The US is losing its dominance. It's the power players are shifting. I don't want to be beholden to China. I don't, and that's why I'm fighting tooth and nail against central bank, central banking, digital currencies. I don't want a society where we're living off carbon credits, where you can be to- and social credits, where social you can credits. be told that's the scariest. Yeah, how much meat you can have, how far you can travel from your home, where you're allowed to go, whom you're allowed to see. That's not a life I want for my children. And when I say I'll die on this hill 
I will not shut up because a lot of people are often saying, oh, you know, you're not the same person. No, I'm not. And if you're still the same person five years every five years then you haven't grown and that's what we were talking about before you have your incarnations but you you should never stop growing as a human and you should never ever stop critically thinking about what is best for you and your family whoever that is if it's you and your girlfriend and your dog that's your family that's your patch you've got to protect it with all your heart and I don't know I get sad, but not. A, I, I don't get defeated, if that makes sense. Sometimes I cry, like lately at nighttime, and Tony doesn't know what to do. I'll just like have a little sook. Well, I think nature always wins. Yeah, it does. And I think we get too far ahead. Something will happen, planet, just shake us off. Do you know what? Can I just say this? This planet is so much smarter than we will ever be, and she's just laughing at us. She's just saying, why don't you just use me the way you were supposed to use me and don't abuse yourselves in the process of thinking you're abusing me because i'm here to help and we're going to kill ourselves before she kills us does that make sense do you do you remember the surf movie the green iguana yes <laughs> i think it came out like 1980 or something yeah no it was 50. early 90s and oh. at the very end of that after the credits mm. there's this thing where earth comes on and you're looking at it mm. earth from outer space and it's turning and Earth I, starts I remember, talking to us. Yes, yeah. And and it's saying. It's like, I remember watching that when I was 16, 17. I'm going to go and watch it. We've got we've got it on a VHS. Yeah, it's the best. Go yeah. and watch it. It's so relevant to yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. And you know, even that movie, Don't Look Up, everyone says... Great oh, movie. Yeah, great movie. But I'm going to give you my interpretation of that because you know the guy, Andrew McAfee, that actually wrote and directed that? It's he climate did. change. Yeah, well, it's climate change, but it's also um, the big short. It's the collapse. It's a metaphor for where we're sitting as a society. We are in the mother trucker of all collapses, but it's he, he not... He was interviewed on Smartless. Yeah, it's not necessarily a meteorite. It's no, it's not. Ju- it's it's no, us. It's a, he, he was saying, I listened to him talk it's about it. It's the collapse of the financial system and everything that we've been accustomed to, having everything at our disposal like that. Fuck that. Go back to basics. Proof of work. Work for it. Make sure that it feels good having it rather than that instant gratification. Maybe you have to wait a little bit longer before you get it sort of thing. That's my opinion. That's my interpretation of that film because he did a great job on the great on the big short. Oh, very. So, so, God, you should, what, do you love you know, Smartless? No. Great I'm gonna have to. Jason I'm going to have Bateman, to. Will oh, I love Jason Bateman. Yeah. And um, uh, what's his name? Anyway, those, those three guys. And so it's the two from... Uh, Arrested Development and I love that, the guy yeah. from Will and Grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have the best banter and they get guests in. Smartless. Yeah. I like Jason Bateman. Well, there you go. See, I learn something new every day because I'm too probably too far down the rabbit hole of finance and geopolitics, but it does. It fascinates me and it, it all makes sense. As I look around my little sort of and, – and look where we live. How lucky are we? Like, and, and that's the whole point. I often say to my kids say to me, why are you sad? I go, I'm not sad for me. I'm not sad for me. I know we're going to be fine. We're probably even going to thrive through this like epoch. It's a, it's in a, it's, it's a change and many won't. And that's the sadness for me. Uh, well, we've all unfortunately got to go sometime. Yeah, I know. 
Hopefully I, not today. No, not today. And I look, honestly, I just, what you're saying, and I, and I definitely, it's like the kids. What are they going to come, what are they going to grow up, what's the future looking like for them? Because I don't want it to be like Back Orwell's to fucking ball. We don't want, no, we don't want an Orwellian world. No. And we're heading that way. That's 100%. And this is why I just keep saying, because a lot of kids, they, they look at me and they're like, mm, you know, she's fucking white supremacist, bloody patriot. No. I fucking have lived a life and I lived it on the smell of an oily rag and I got to see everything and experience so much and impact other people who impacted me as well. Like those people in Africa, they gave me so much um, humility that I knew after spending time with them how I wanted to live my life here in Australia, right? Mm, yeah. I did not want to be a greedy consumerist and... I do believe in you've got to give, but you've got to teach before you give, if that makes sense. Teach and then give. Like give a man a fishing rod and he'll, like he'll feed himself forever. Give him a fish and he'll just eat for one day. That is how we need to raise our children. And then hopefully they're more accountable adults. And another one was I, I loved that a friend of mine was telling me, um, he was saying in the old world when – Aboriginals were ruling the roost here mm. that when they were teaching if they were telling telling someone off after they finished telling them off they had to tell them something good about them as well yeah. you couldn't yeah. take yeah. away from them and just leave them they're empty Hanging. you yeah. had to give them something else as well to aspire to it's such so nice it's yeah. really nice yeah so thank you so much are we good we're good awesome we're always good. Yeah, we're really good. I um, just I love this and your home just really it anchored me back in a time that it's like in, it's inspired me. There you go. Unreal. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than Seal McClausland. Now, uh, Seal, thank you so much for coming over. I really appreciate it. And for those of you who are tuning in, thank you so much for lending me your ears. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our chat. I hope it's left you thinking. Um, you know, uh, anything that makes you think, take a second guess, have a look at where and what you're doing and what you're putting into your body and what you know are you asking of yourself in this life i, I just think it's healthy it's good it's good I, lo I love chewing on things i love um i don't think we ever stop learning and i don't want to stop learning i don't want to stop asking the questions so still still thank you for um you know even last night leaving me pondering about a few aspects of my own life um anyway without waffling on too much more. I'll see you next time. Until then, adios.